1: the following is a presentation of the force center podcast feed from the center of the galaxy this is the force center podcast feed now it's time for spotlight star wars with your host ken knapsack
2: that it is spotlight star wars episode 113 welcome come on in the star wars water is warm and inviting i love having the force center bubble to climb into we talk always about the star wars bubble i think i've been saying that since the first episode of spotlight star wars which was on the knapsack files podcast feed but i gotta tell you the force center bubble is warm it's a small bubble We're a smaller podcast. We're growing. We got our YouTube presence growing. We got things shaking and moving, but we're not here. Uh, Joseph and Jennifer and I, for Super Accolades, or the Glitz and Glamour, we're here to celebrate Star Wars. Something uh, we began on Jedi Alliance, the same type of theme, and it's only grown and gotten better, and you guys make that great. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes disagree. I know there's some of you listening that maybe didn't like The Last Jedi as much as uh, we did or didn't like Solo as much as we did or, hell, didn't like Force Awakens as much as we did. A Rogue One, Ewok Adventures, the holiday special, it doesn't matter. We do enjoy a good conversation. We do enjoy a good discussion about star wars that's part of it as is making fun of star wars i think that sometimes is forgotten uh, i was watching our friends uh alex and steve and their producer uh cisco uh, of black series rebels uh doing uh their instagram watch along a solo and they love solo they, they love that movie and they're having fun poking fun at it scenes they didn't like moments they didn't like little funny little character moments little question marks and I remember there's a point early on I was like what what are they what do they do um, you know what this is part of the fun as as well This is what I did on the playgrounds I became a Star Wars fan but watching them on the big screen watching Return of the Jedi in the theater and then taking it to the playgrounds and telling my own extended adventures with my friends and they told their stories as well and then discussing it and then as you get a little older you start kind of Well, why does this happen? And you start poking fun at it. And then you realize a stormtrooper hits his head on a door. And then it all bets are off. Don't forget that. Hardware wars is one of my all-time favorite things. We've been discussing, uh, you know, we discuss it every now and then on the show, that it's okay to poke some fun. But I I think even I had to be reminded. This week, Alex and Steve and Cisco just having some fun. Instagramming. Having some beers and watching solo giggling a little bit here and there and i think it's a sign of the times as just the world in general but star wars fans where it's this there's a clear dividing line there is a clear at times war going on and we at force center really don't like to roll up our sleeves and get into that type of uh battle it's just not what we want to do we try to just focus on what we're doing number one but also just being positive Star Wars, but what ends up happening is I think I, I need to be reminded that it's okay to have a laugh. Uh, Star Wars is pretty silly. George has a weird sense of humor, this we know, and that has set the tone for Star Wars. I think a little bit of that went into the last Jedi, too. Joseph and I and Jennifer, we have taken big, deep dives into the humor of the last Jedi and the purpose that it serves. There is a lot to be said of how Ryan Johnson used the humor. But I, I will admit, some I was rewatching Last Jedi the other day, and I was like, "Wow, this is this has a lot more humor than even I sometimes remember the first time seeing it in the theater." And I remember Ryan did kind of warn us because probably his previous work, Brick and Looper, and all that kind of stuff, um, and this being the second chapter of the Star Wars trilogy, the new versions, the new sequel trilogy. Uh, We just all assume, myself included, you can go back and find Force Center episodes, probably some Collider Jedi Council episodes where I was like, oh, this is gonna be dark and gritty. We need our Star Wars to be dark and gritty. We all fell for that. It's the post Christopher Nolan world that we live in, and I love the Nolan Batman series. Those are my favorite superhero movies because they are dark and gritty. But Star Wars, I don't know. And we've discussed the possibility of more rated Star Wars, all the kind of things. Doesn't mean that Star Wars can't get serious. Doesn't mean there can't even be more violence. I don't know if we'll ever have uh, sex in Star Wars, like overt sex in Star Wars, like Game of Thrones. I don't think that's happening. But the violence is there. Uh, the dark tones are there. Uh, look at Revenge of the Sith. I saw it in the Cinerama Ciner- Dome in 2005. It was like my second or third show in a scene in the movie. And I think I've told the story before, but uh, you know they're sitting in front of like a group of like nine year olds and their and their parents on like an afternoon matinee showing in the Cinerama Dome, which is this big experience, right? And Anakin's burning up on the beach, and these kids are crying. I and I understood. Temple of Doom scarred me as a child. Molleron ripping into a heart and pulling a beating heart out of a, of, of one of his minions. I, it stayed with me for a long time, and I was about eight or nine when I saw that movie. So I understand, darkness is in Star Wars. Death is in Star Wars. Death begins right away in Star Wars. Uh, the blockade runner, the, the 10 of E4, uh, you know, Vader and his troops crash in and and... Rebel soldiers are dying right away. Stormtroopers actually the first to go. Boom! Gets blasted. You know? Death is there. Darkness is there. But the humor in The Last Jedi caught all of us by surprise. And I think it serves not just as a you know, in-story, how it cuts some of the characters down and makes them into just kind of mindless, fearless uh, fascists, and that was kind of Ryan's point, and just the porgs are having their fun, and then there's a homage to hardware wars with the The Iron, it's not a spaceship. But I think we all still occasionally need to be reminded that Star Wars is supposed to be light at times. The dark themes are there. I know I needed to be reminded. That's where I'm starting the show today. Spotlight Star Wars has always been a monologue to me, to you. There's a lot of news, a lot of things, and and we'll look uh, into things here in Spotlight Star Wars. And I've changed up the format a bit, blah, blah, blah. But really, this is my chance to talk directly to you with my thoughts and opinions Uh, Just because I I don't want poor Jennifer or Joseph to be uh, dragged down the corridor with my opinions. Um, And that's where my mind is right now as a Star Wars fan this week. We're going to discuss a lot more of the news this coming week on Force Center, uh, Kathleen Kennedy news being the biggest. But all that, the war, there is a war going on, man. And even if you're not an active participant in the Star Wars fandom wars, it can find you especially if you talk about Star Wars, and especially if you talk about Star Wars on YouTube. But, as I open up the microphone today, I know I am among friends, and that is you, the Force Center listeners, the dedicated bunch. And our numbers have, thankfully, fortunately, grown, grown, and I want them to grow more. We need them to grow more. This is This is something we do out of passion, but it's also a business for us as well. So, yeah, I want the numbers. I want the numbers, but when I open up my microphone each week or each uh, every other week for Spotlight Star Wars, I know I'm home with friends. And I can confess things, confess my own sins as a Star Wars fan. I'm too defensive. I think I'm too defensive. You know? You can like Solo or you can think it's fine. It doesn't matter to me. But I let it get to me sometimes. That's, that's not fun. It's not fun. Speaking of Solo... Since the digital release, and I bought it uh, on that Friday, bought it that Friday night. Since the digital release has come out, I have watched Solo now eight times in full. I think a couple of the viewings were broken up over little sessions. So I've sat down eight times start to finish. But just had the eighth one the other day. So I was watching uh, one of the scenes or needed to watch one of the scenes for reference for something I'm working on. And I was like, all right, let me just start the movie, just watch it. And I loved the movie after I saw it in the theater. I only saw it three times in the theater. I'm part to partly to blame for the box office failure. It's me. But my love of that movie continues to grow. My understanding of some of the problematic issues in it or things that other people have problems with it, it continues to grow as well. I see it. I see what a lot of you're saying. I still do contend the movie, as deep as it goes at times, and there's themes in there, I, I think this, the, the movie slides on the surface at times. It's a, it has more of a modern blockbuster feel at times. And we have higher expectations for our Star Wars films, and I feel that's fair. I want those expectations. Let's never lower them. I just think Solo reaches those expectations a lot more than people give it credit for, or a lot more than people first thought, or uh, in some cases, people who never watched the movie or seen it for the first time. I don't think you're going to see some super giant uh, Blu-ray digital release numbers that's going to change uh, Lucasfilm's opinion on what to do with the franchise going forward, and just um, when I say franchise, I could mean the Solo franchise, uh, Orlando movie, Akira movie, whatever you want to say, a sequel to Solo. I think at one point they probably thought it's a possibility because why wouldn't you think? Uh, why wouldn't you think that if they believed in the cast, believe in the writers, uh, Ron Howard comes in and and they believe in what he's doing? Uh, yeah, why wouldn't you think it at some point? Even if Lord Miller are there back in that day, why wouldn't you think? Hey, if this works out. We got some people uh, to, to tell more of these stories. Makes sense. Yeah, you yeah. know, as Bob Iger will tell you, you know, they maybe made a release date mistake, held to a uh, first or second business quarter type of uh, situation where we want to show our earnings, and I think that was a big reason. And then, I, I, again, I saw so three times. Two times for free. I was fortunate enough to go to the world premiere, and then I had a press screening, and I paid for another viewing, all right? Um, So I only paid for that movie one time, and I'm part of the problem. I just didn't get out to see it, but that's also Deadpool comes out after, Avengers before that, it's just a time, it's a busy time, blah, blah, blah. That's part of the reason. Uh, And I've made up for it. I've purchased the digital copy. I've purchased a 4K Blu-ray version uh, of uh, Solo and even bought the Han Solo card game. That's right. So I'm putting my money as, as much as I can, and I finally got a Range Trooper, a six-inch Black Series Range Trooper, finally broke down, purchased it. Hot damn, I love that Range Trooper's jacket. Magnetic boots, cool. Jacket, that's what I want. So I am trying to make up for even my sins as a, as a member of the Star Wars press. They got, uh, you know, fortunate enough to see, see the movie early and, and for free. Um... That's the way it works, though. It is an exchange. It is a business. Premieres, as cool as they are, are a business gesture from the studios to the reporters. Doesn't guarantee, by the way. Does not guarantee good reviews. Does not. But uh, I can tell you, because I'm at some of those screenings for uh, Last Jedi and Solo uh, with some colleagues, and I've seen their horrible reviews, and I've heard their horrible reviews, so it doesn't always work. Um but i love following what is you know a low box office and all that kind of stuff this digital release and the hard media uh, the blu-ray the 4k the dvd if you've purchased that version to see it come out and to see a lot of tweets of people not just saying hey i love solo and they're tweeting Ron Howard and Ron Howard's even uh, at the time of my recording i saw a tweet from him today saying hey good numbers are coming in for it. again i don't think it's going to be the super wow! They smashed Blu-ray records, uh, sales records, and we're going to make another solo. I don't think that's going to happen, but it it warms my heart that there has been this kind of rediscovering of solo, which is something that uh, you know Scrimshaw said first. I mean, other people I'm sure said it places, and other people thought it, but I, the f- first person to really say to me and, and to Jennifer on a broadcast, I, I believe Jennifer was, was there for that one, uh, was, uh, you know, people are, people are going to find that they've slept on this movie, that they overlooked it. And the amount of people I saw just simply saying, I didn't go see it in the theater because of, uh, I was a little burned out by Last Jedi or just burned out by Star Wars or didn't feel the movie was necessary, all those kind of things. Earlier in the week, I might be a little grumpy at that if I had seen that today, but I understand it. I understand it today. Uh, Star Wars is everywhere. It's being marketed as such. I think that's part of Iger's thought of the slowdown. doesn't mean we're not going to get Star Wars coloring books. It just means it can be everywhere. And the back-to-back is the biggest, I think, mistake. That's what they learn, back-to-back. It's not quite like Marvel. Uh, Marvel has just kind of become that kind of wallpaper, I think. I'm not a Marvel expert. I'm not an MCU expert. But it's been happening for so long now that I think it's just part of the movie wallpaper. It's part of our entertainment. It's just part of our routine now. Two, or three Marvel movies a year? Well, yeah, of course. Because it's also viewed as different. Well, yeah, you got Thor in November. Before that, yeah, you know, you had uh, Black Panther, or Black Panther came out after, I should say. And, and you got Ant-Man. And it's like, it's those are like same worlds, all connected, but it's it's different because there's different fans. That's how comic books work, right? You all might love Marvel Comics or your DC Comics or all of them. You can like both of them at the same time, but you'll find that uh, you know I am a Batman fan. Me, Ken personally, I do like Batman. I'm not a huge Superman fan, so I didn't rush out to see it. I saw see, I've seen all the Batman movies, you know, all the Nolan stuff. All the I love uh, Keaton's my favorite Batman, all that kind of thing. I think it's divided a little different. So if you as a Marvel fan are like, ooh. Dr. Strange, my good buddy Matt Key, he's a Dr. Strange guy. He's so geeked up for Dr. Strange and happy to see him in Infinity War. But if there was a Dr. Strange in November and then a Dr. Strange 2 in March a few months later, you might go, all right, I, I don't want Dr. Strange all the time. That's why they space him out. It's all part of the same story, yes, but it is kind of different. There's Thor fans. There's Black Panther fans. There's even Ant-Man fans. There's Wasp fans. There's Black Widow fans. There is Rocket and Groot fans, Guardians fans in general. You know how it goes. That's how it goes. And Star Wars isn't necessarily like that. Oh, Han Solo's my favorite character, but phew, I love Luke Skywalker as well, Princess Leia, uh, Admiral Rattus. Infis, Ness, Ray, Sloan, General Veers. These are all the characters I love. But we're not going to get those movies despite any jokes. Oh, we're going to get a gonk droid standalone movie. We know we're not. Rogue One, Solo. Those are our standalone movies for now and might be our standalone movies forever. I think that will change down the line. But for right now, yeah. But it doesn't work the same way. December, Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. May, solo a Star Wars story. Too many. Even more than casual Star Wars fans, but definitely the, the movie going audience, it's seen as the same thing. It's not, oh, a Thor movie, oh, a Black Panther movie. It's, oh, a Star Wars movie. And I think that contributed to the burnout. And that contributed to people not going. And then, yeah, the thought of, hey, it's not necessary, we know. Our own Jennifer Landa believed that as well. She was very polite about it on air, but off air, yeah, she'd have some, eh, yeah, you know, I am not all about this. Uh, as you heard on her Happy Beeps episode and her uh, focus on Alden Ehrenreich's performance, uh, she changed her heart, changed her tune, in large part because of what Alden did as Solo. And that is someone who discovered Solo in the theater, She had those thoughts going in, came out of the theater feeling different about it, but I think now a lot of people are rediscovering or discovering Solo for the first time, and I'm so thankful for it. But I'm no longer I'm trying, I should say, trying to be so much better about wiggling that finger and saying, oh, you should have liked it earlier. I gotta take a breath. Star Wars isn't about that. Loving Star Wars isn't about wagging fingers. I'm glad if you are listening now and you didn't see Solo in the theater, but you've seen it at your home. I wish you would have saw it in the theater, but I'm glad if you've seen it this week and have been like, wow, well, it wasn't as bad as people said. I'll even take that. I'm not, some of you are like, oh, I loved it. Some of you might be like, okay, that was fine. I don't see what all the hubbub was about. That was a good Star Wars movie. I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm happy for that. I think it is the power of this movie. It is a fun ride. It is some pure Star Wars pop, pulp, serial adventuring. And yes, there's layers. And yes, we here at Force Center would dig into those layers. Some of my colleagues in the industry, other other places I work, have said to me, "Ah, I think you guys, you Force Center guys, dig in too deep and put things that aren't really there there and convince yourselves. All right, fair enough, fair enough. I think we're on to some things. I think that's what we do here at Force Center pretty damn well. Eh, Not so much the speculating responsibly and predicting and prognosticating, but looking into each moment and each part of the story and each character and sometimes each line and finding out what what it means for the greater Star Wars saga. And we appreciate greatly. You allowing us to do that here at Force Center. Love it.
3: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!"
2: On my 6th, I believe, or 7th viewing, and after a while, I just stopped counting. I don't care. I've seen it a lot. But around my 6th or 7th viewing of Solo, I was watching the uh, the Lodge scene. What is, what is that? I, I don't know all the Solo names yet. The Ipso Lodge? Scrimshaw's better at that stuff than me. So's Alex Damon, as Star Wars Explained, that that scoundrel. I, it takes me a little bit to, to get them in my brain. But The Lodge, the first Sabak game, I was watching it, and I was watching the making of that scene and, and the special features on the solo stuff. Yeah, you know, we don't get a director commentary, probably for obvious reasons, but uh, the making ofs are really good. The train heist one's actually probably my favorite one. Uh, watching uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge talk about creating L3 and, and uh, what she put into it made me like that character a little bit more than I did L3 probably one of my least favorite characters in the movie. But uh, watching her get like, kind of emotional describing it is maybe look at the character differently. Um, but watching the card, the Sabak card game uh, scene, and then watching the movie again, I was like, why have I never like learned to play this game? So I ordered, uh, only 12 bucks, but I put some money into the Disney merchandising till I ordered that... Official Hasbro Han Solo card game because they can't legally call it Sabak. Help! I probably can't legally say Sabak. It's like that big Super Bowl thing. Uh, I can't. I, pro, oh, I just got fined for saying the Super Bowl. Um, and I ordered it. Came and it's fun. I've taught myself to play this version, but this version is not even the version that's in the movie. And that version is a little bit different than people have been f- familiar with. Yeah, the Corillian Spike rules. There's all, all these different rules, and it's fine. You know, I, I play Uno. I've played Uno my whole life, and there's di- different families have, oh, we have a rule that if someone coughs, uh, you have to discard two cards and randomly draw. To, uh, we do this thing where we, at one point, reverse, uh, just hand the uh, hand, the hand, uh, your card hand goes over to the person. There's all these house rules on Uno. So it makes sense that there's different rules on Sabacc. It would make sense to me, all right? But I got the card game. I I, I will say, and I, I want. I'm trying to learn the, the the more real version, and trying to get an actual legitimate copy of uh you know it's probably un, unauthorized um copy of the of Sabak with the uh, seventy two cards I believe you need or yeah seventy two cards a deck because uh, this version that has been released has sixty cards, 30 negative, 30 positive, and that kind of messes up the thing. And there's also no betting in this one. But also, I think they're marketing this this quote-unquote Han Solo card game eh, to children. Imagine that. And maybe we don't want our children to learn about betting. Learning card games in the art of winning card games is fine, but you know, ages six and up, here's how to bet. Eh, Maybe I'm okay with that not being (laughs) an official Hasbro Star Wars release. But I like to gamble. I like to go to Vegas and yank on a slot machine every now and then, so I want to learn how to gamble. I want to bet I want to learn to play sub box. so um I've been researching that and that and that you know that to me is part of the joy of solo to go to my part of my thesis statement here in today's show. This movie is fun. This movie feels like Star Wars to me, which is that thing we say that we don't really quite know ever what it truly means, either way. I've had one person say to me, uh, live on air on a show, hey, last, year last year I didn't follow the rules of Star Wars. Okay, that's fair. Okay, what are the rules? Because I'd like to know them. I don't understand the rules of Star Wars. I do say all the time, eh, that doesn't feel like Star Wars. Uh, to me, that's the space whales. To me, that is Dr. Silo's uh, fifth clone's whale ship. In the Vader comic, it doesn't feel like Star Wars to me. Though there's weird stuff in Star Wars. Let's not forget, Empire Strikes Back, one of the funniest Star Wars movies. We focus on the darkness, yes, but it's funny. Hurry up, Goldenrod, or you'll be a permanent member. Come on. Han's got it working in this movie. But that, that movie's got an exogorth. At some point, our heroes fly their spaceship into the belly of a giant space slug. It's pretty weird, pretty silly. That feels like Star Wars, I guess, because, well, it came out in 1988. I just, I accepted it as so. I bet if I saw Empire as a little bit older fan, I might have been like, did anyone uh, have a problem with the space slug being in the movie? So this, what are the rules of Star Wars, and does it feel, feel like Star Wars? Those are real things. I get it as fans. I get it as fans. But for me, Solo just feels like Star Wars. And the more I watch it, the more I feel just happy to be here along for this adventure. The more I am crawling into the moments. I talk a lot about Attack of the Clones. My least favorite Star Wars film. Not not counting the Clone Wars movie, but that's, that's kind of different. Yeah, it was released in a theater, but we all know it's supposed to be on TV. Those were the first four episodes, and George got the idea. Let's put this in the theater. Uh, that, to me, doesn't count. It counts in trivia and schmodown stuff. I get it, but My least favorite Star Wars film is Attack of the Clones. But obviously, if you listen to Joseph and I talk about the prequels, we think there's a lot in that movie to enjoy and have fun with. And some of it's silly. Dexter Jetster is tremendously silly. And I love it. A flow serving droid, WA-7. You want a job with you? That's silly. But I like it. I like it. But one of my favorite moments in Attack of the Clones is the clone battle itself. Some of the shots, some of the zooms that George uses, boom, moving in on uh, on the uh, drop ships. That shot, the clones shooting at the droids, and then the uh, Trade Federation ship crashes and the dust takes them over. Like, this beautiful shot, beautiful shots. And it made me, as I watched it, feel like I was in a Star Wars moment. Made me feel like a kid. And I left the theater in 2002 and told my friend, like, I... I want to go on a playground and play Star Wars. And this is in 2002, where I was a little bit more on, "Eh, I didn't like The Phantom Menace after I saw it eight times. I realized I didn't like it, and I was disappointed. And the disappointment was real, and your disappointment with the prequels might be real too, but time has changed. Time has changed me, and part of it is, is those things. When I go back to that day which also included, you know, applause breaks every time Yoda, uh, you know, comes on screen to fight Dooku, and every theater I saw it in that first month, people applauded, people forget that. But I walked out of the theater, my first viewing of Attack of the Clones, and there I knew there were things I didn't like. I didn't like 3PO getting his head, you know, knocked off and put on that of a battle droid. I, I did not like the I truly, deeply love you moment, and it's still one of my... Yeah, I feel it's a missed opportunity, a beautiful scene if it didn't have the dialogue. All that stuff was there then, and it's there now. But I cannot deny, I walked out of the movie theater, turned to my friend, and said, I want to go play Star Wars, because that's what that battle made me feel, and that has value. And that, for me, is Solo. But more start to finish. Eh, Look, I could watch Alden Ehrenreich be Han Solo all day. Is Harrison Han Solo to me? Yeah, and he always will be. He is Han Solo. Han Solo, there's no doubt about it. Love Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, River Phoenix was great. Sean Patrick Flannery was great, actually. A big fan. I was a big fan of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And I forget, sadly, the kid who played the like, 9, 10-year-old version of Indiana. God bless him. Much respect. I don't remember those episodes as much. I liked the Sean Patrick Flannery episodes, and he was a good Indiana Jones to me. But Harrison is Indiana Jones. Harrison will always be Han Solo. Alden didn't take that away from him, even though I think he is a better Solo in Solo than Harrison was at points in Return of the Jedi. But that's because we now know eh, maybe Harrison didn't want to be there. Harrison comes back full force in Force Awakens for sure. Harrison will always be Han Solo, but Alden, I could watch him all day, and every time I watch that movie, every time I'm like, I'll just have it on in the background, I find myself sitting down. That's how I've watched it eight times in full. And the speeder chase in the beginning. I, I didn't gravitate as much to that uh, early on. Now it's, I love it. I love watching it. I think the making of documentary, little featurette, uh, you know, pulled me in a little bit more to the speeder chase. I love how it ends, with Kira telling Han exactly how this is going to go and Han not paying attention and them getting stuck. I love that moment. The train heist. Yeah, there's their complications. Some fans feel as though Val should have lived. Some fans feel as though Rio should have lived. Yeah, yeah, Sure, do some people feel it happened too soon in the movie? Yeah, at times, I do. But that train heist is so damn good. It's some of the best Star Wars I've seen. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the train, the conveyance crashing, and, and the, uh, the shot of the, uh, of the explosion later on when they drop the, the specific conveyance car. This is amazing stuff, stuff I would never thought I'd see on the big screen as a Star Wars fan. And then it is the Sabacc game. That's what pulled me in on the sixth or seventh viewing. I'm like, I want to play it. I want to sit down and learn to play Sabak and play with my friends, and maybe we'll do a four Center live stream. I don't know. But I'm watching it, and I want to play it. I want to be in not just the movie, but I want to be in the Star Wars world just like I did. Back in 1983, when I saw Return of the Jedi, Fremont Theater in San Luis Obispo, California, and the next day at school, and I i think I had the weekend or whatever, I'd go back to school, and it's like, I want to I talk about Star Wars. I want to play Star Wars. I want to be in Star Wars. As an actor, as a writer, director, no, nah, I mean, it did start to inspire me for sure. Return of the Jedi absolutely led me to thinking about being creative and writing and directing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do I want to direct? And Now? No. Am I a writer? Yeah. But direct? I'm I'm good. But back then, yeah, it inspired that. But when I, I hit the playgrounds of Margaret Harlow Elementary, said, hey, you guys at recess want to play Star Wars? It's not because I was just a fan of the movies. It's because I wanted to be in that world as if it was real. And Solo does that to me. Several times, and I have rediscovered something new about it each time I've watched it, and I hope a lot of you are feeling that as well. So, yeah, that in mind. Let's go. I have no interview, you uh, I have no interview for you guys today, but I do have a listener memory. This is what we love to do. I go to our Four Center Patreon page and pull a memory from you. You guys write it, I read it. And then we talk about it. And I think we can all bond over our shared memories of Star Wars. Today's comes to us from a longtime supporter here, Ventress87. And she writes, Star Wars has been a part of my life since I was a kid. One of the first Christmas presents I can vividly remember opening is a VHS collection of the original trilogy in an R2-D2 keychain. Yes, that I still have even though it's missing an arm. Oh, R2. In the past few years, my love of Star Wars has taken on a life of its own. I understand. We're, taking, we're talking a full-blown nerd obsession here. Ventress, you're in the right spot. Uh, she writes, uh, There is one Star Wars moment that will haunt me for ages. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to hang out with the Jedi. Nalini Krishan, who plays Barris Ophie, was at a convention in my city. My fiance and I made sure to meet her, and she was so excited to sign our action figure we brought with us and even asked to take a picture with it, we chatted for a little bit, and she invited us to an event she was attending when she was done signing. And we didn't go. Oh, Ventress. Every now and then, we'll look at each other and ask, remember when we could have hung out with a Jedi and we didn't? What were we thinking? I can only assume there was a mind trick involved. Yes, perhaps some Sith work, uh, at least we have the signed figure. Ventress, thanks for sharing that memory. And then the painful not memory. Yes, Ventress, you should have gone. And I'm not wagging a finger at you. I'm pulling you and your fiancé in close, sitting you down here at our campsite on Vandor 1, and just saying it's okay. Release that guilt. Release that guilt. What you did was okay. You probably didn't want to impose. You probably just wanted to You know, play it small. But don't play it small next time. Don't do that. But I'm glad you got to experience that moment. And this moment makes me think of another thing we all know we love so much about Star Wars. And it definitely works in other fandoms, especially fandoms that that hit the big screen in a major way. But I think it is pretty unique to Star Wars that it takes on this kind of level of power. And that thing is... Our connection with these smaller characters. Uh, we as fans, just in general, have that. Go to like an autograph alley at a convention. You'll have, hey, I played uh, two episodes on Lost in Space in 1966, and you, you know, and, and you'll see fans who grew up with that show connecting with those moments. I am a big fan of Gilligan's Island, which I watched in syndication reruns. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I was to see an actor, uh, you know, I would have. Uh, who played a, you know a one part in an episode and I, and I was able to be like that person was on Gilligan's Island, i freak out too. That's part of this. But Star Wars comes along, and I think in large part because of the action figures, which, you know, they had to fill out their ranks there. Um, they couldn't just make all of Luke's outfits all the time. So little figures, as misnamed as they might have been, Yak Face and Prune Face, Walrus Man, all that stuff, but it, it helped foster this appreciation of these little characters. And then, yes, legends, which I sometimes poke a finger at, comes along. And I'm talking even by like the late 80s with the West End card game, comes along and just makes these characters even that much more real to us. Because there's a point. Growing up, I didn't know. You know, Moff Jer Gerard's first name was Tion Jer Gerard. I don't think anyone anyone else in Lucasfilm. I don't think George Lucas knew that at that point, but now I do, and it fills it out a little bit more. But all I knew I was I was obsessed with the administrator of the second Death Star. Why? And I, I, that's not something that set in as an adult because I thought it was cool or just knew now know his name's Tion. As a kid, I just I just it started then. And then I read the Return of the Jedi novelization and getting inside Jared Ger- Ger- Gerard's mind, there was just something there I liked. And that's what's so great about Star Wars, that you can go and meet Nalini Krishan, who plays Barra Sophie, a prequel Jedi. Bigger part in the Clone Wars, yes, but a prequel Jedi, someone in the background. And you know the character's name, and you probably know the character's story, and I'm not even saying that Barra Sophie was Ventress 87 and, and, and her fiancé's favorite character either. I'm just saying you know, and you have a figure. And the actor, the performer, who brings that character to life, now has a special place in your heart, and then they feel it too. It's something special. And yes, it's in other fandoms, and yes, it blew up, and now you can go to conventions, and it's big, and every weekend there's a convention somewhere. But I really think a lot of that is is has come from Star Wars, and it is part of being a Star Wars fan. It's the joy in in Joseph Scrimshaw's eyes and voice and, and demeanor when, in a trailer, he sees a character that he knows he's gonna love and names him "That Weirdo." Yeah, Lulo Primak comes along, but it's "That Weirdo" to him. And then it's me in a theater, not with him, seeing Solo a uh, uh, first before he got to see it, unfortunately, and knowing, wishing that he was there, because I'm like, oh, God, this character is everything he hoped it would be. And it's there for 15 seconds. And I guarantee you, if Joseph and I are walking around Star Wars Celebration or Wizard World Bakersfield or some other convention, and the performer who voiced that weirdo on screen, because unfortunately, not in the soundtrack, not in the score, we got to fix that. Joseph would freak out. I'd freak out. I'd freak out for him. It'd be a great moment, and that is, in large part, to me, one of the great appeals of Star Wars and the importance of Ventress 87's memory here. Yes, Ventress, you could have hung out with a Jedi, and if you get the chance again, I know you'll take it. But the point remains, you had this because of a love, even on a small scale, with a background Jedi. A background Jedi who's in the spotlight because of what we now know what we read and what we feel and what we add in our head to this character i love it it's why we come around these star wars parts i think that's it for me i talked a lot today i've purged been more stressed as a star wars fan last couple weeks than i than i should be there's a lot of hate out there, a lot of piss and vinegar, a lot of moaning, a lot of just bad behavior from, well, people who I wouldn't call fans, but also fans. And yes, everyone has the right to their opinion. I take that away from no one. And if you have a successful YouTube channel because you tear down Star Wars or Kathleen Kennedy, I don't begrudge that on anybody. You go do your thing. I just sometimes get caught in that whirlwind. I get defensive and I wag fingers myself. That is not good. That is not the way of the Jedi. But it has been fun to crawl into that Star Wars bubble again with you here in Force Center and with my friends in the movie Solo, A Star Wars Story. I am going to go learn to play sabacc. But before we do, as we always do, thank you for your support Look from find us on Patreon. Look at our YouTube channel. I want to highlight the YouTube channel. If you haven't gone over and subscribed, you don't even have to really watch. Just give us a subscribe. Uh, but we put a uh, databank brawls up there. Uh, Jennifer puts those together. Alex of Star Wars Explained does the intro. For that, uh, some of you might not know. And then we have the In Memoriams, my friend Kevin Smets, great editor here in town. He is behind the Knights of the Old Republic trilogy, like fan series that goes on there. You can follow him. The links are in the YouTube thing. He puts together with me the, the In Memoriams that we have here on Spotlight Star Wars. And then we have Force Center Meets. We have our first episode up with Jamie Stangroom. We have another episode coming. More on the way. Those are a little harder for us to do right now because we got to bring guests into my uh, home studio here, and Joseph and Jennifer and I got to find the time to shoot them. Workload is sometimes an issue for us here because this is not our full-time uh, job, as you all know. But I do want to highlight the YouTube channel. If you get a chance, if you haven't, just go over there, find it, 4Center, youtube.com slash C slash 4Center. Give it a subscribe. Uh, check out the videos. And if you already are watching, thank you. We appreciate it. Just part of the expanding Force Center Empire. So we are almost out of here. Before we do, though, speaking of those in memoriams, here's, a, here's one I, I did once before on Jedi Alliance, but I, I redid it again, I reworked it, updated it, and put the modern spin on it, if you will. And these are two characters I think have a big, important spot in the Star Wars saga. So let's pay our respects to them right now. We'll see you guys next week. They were humble moisture farmers, never craved the life of great adventure, but unexpectedly found themselves charged with an important purpose that would one day save the galaxy. Today, we pay tribute to Owen Lars and Baru White Sun Lars, known to all as Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru. Owen Lars, son of Kleeg, was born into a hard-working, simple way of life, and he never questioned following his father's footsteps. He never dreamed of going off-world. He liked his life. Beru White's son had dreamed of running a restaurant in Anchorhead. Then they walked into each other's lives. Owen certainly mesmerized by Baru's bright eyes, and Baru charmed by Owen's rugged looks and gruff exterior. At that moment, their place on Tatooine was cemented. Owen and Baru's relationship was tinged with tragedy early on. Owen's stepmother, Shmi, was kidnapped by Tuscan raiders, and in an ensuing attempt to rescue her, Cleeg Lars lost a leg and would later succumb to his injuries. But Owen and Baru continued on, inheriting the moisture farm and carved out a life for themselves. They lived full lives for sure, though not a second of it containing glitz or glamour. They were farmers lost among the suns and dust of the Outer Rim. It was their deaths, though, that all would remember. The gruesome end of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru left a lasting impression and was a haunting image. However, from a certain point of view, their deaths just might be the most important ones in the Star Wars saga. For along the way, they had taken custody of a young child at the insistence of that old wizard Ben Kenobi. Unable to have children of their own, Owen and Beru raised and protected the boy as their own. That boy would grow to be Luke Skywalker, who dreamed often of leaving his homeworld but never quite found the reason. Oh sure, Owen didn't want him to leave lest he become like his father, but when asked directly to follow Kenobi off the planet to rescue a princess, young Luke backed down. He couldn't follow old Ben on an adventure. His life was here with his uncle and aunt. But later, upon finding his aunt and uncle brutally murdered by Imperial stormtroopers, Luke had his reason to leave. So here's to the hard-working, sun-drenched, milk drinking Owen and Brew Lars. They did not die in vain, for their death changed a galaxy forever.
1: Thanks for listening to Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center. Follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod and follow Ken online, including Twitch, at Ken Knapsok. Consider supporting Force Center on Patreon at patreon.com slash Center. Go to forcecenterpod.podomatic.net for more information and use the hashtag Spotlight Star Wars to join the conversation. Until next time, this has been Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center.